You're listening to the CPR of Life podcast, a show about creating community through connection, awakening potential, and uncovering the resilience of the human spirit through an understanding of state of mind. It's about living a life well-lived and uncovering what often gets in the way. Welcome to episode number six. One of the reasons I started this podcast is to show the power of connection, potential, and resilience. This conversation exemplifies all of these qualities. Today's guest is Sheila Davenport, Operations Manager of Free the Girls, an organization that helps girls freed from trafficking live a life of freedom. So welcome, Sheila. It's a pleasure to have you on the show. Um, Sheila is the operations manager of Free the Girls. And Sheila, could you tell our listeners a little bit about what Free the Girls is? Sure. Well, thank you, Jesse Lynn, for having me. I'm um, really grateful to be able to share Free the Girls with you and your listeners. And yes, as, as you said, um, my name is Sheila Davenport, and I'm operations manager of Free the Girls. And I've been with them for about five years now. And so Free the Girls was uh, launched back in 2010. Um, it was a, uh, founded as a way to answer the question of what happens next for women that are exiting situations of sexual exploitation. And so I think our founders really understood that um, the distance from a trafficker that a woman has doesn't really equal um, freedom and that economic independence is really an important element um, in that process. So um, I think gathering an income is not always really the first thought that we have, right? When, when we think of a woman healing from trauma and exploitation of human trafficking. Um, but we found that it's just as vital as any of the other areas of her healing process. Because if, if she's really not able to meet her basic needs of food and shelter, it is very likely that she will go back into a life of survival sex. Mm-hmm. Um, they were trafficked on average at a really young age between the ages of 10 and 13. And the women in our program range in age from, you know, mid to late twenties, you know, all the way up into like their late fifties. So it's just as much as it might be weird or hard for us to wrap our brain around that, that is something that they'll go back to if they don't have a way to earn a living. Mm-hmm. So what we've done is we partner with individuals and organizations that are providing um, social services to survivors in developing countries and free the girls comes alongside to provide that way um, for them to earn a living. And we do that by helping them set up their own micro enterprise selling bras in the secondhand clothing markets in their countries. So currently we operate programs in Maputo, Mozambique, uh, San Salvador, El Salvador, and um, we just launched um, a new program um, about about two or three weeks ago now in San Jose, Costa Rica. So we're really excited about that one. And um, we receive the inventory for the bras from women, and I say men too because men have women in their lives, um, from around the world. So for you know your listeners, that is a way for them to really get connected and to be able to make an impact if you have any bras that are you know, sitting in the back of your drawer that don't fit you, um, you can um, ship them or drop them off to us at a, at a drop-off. And that's a really great way to get involved. Um, but the next thing that we usually have people ask is bras by bras, right? That seems like a really kind of odd, odd thing to use. But 
bras are really uh, considered a luxury item. And they can go for a premium price um, in these markets. So the women are, are able to make a livable wage. And they also have the flexibility to attend to some of those other areas of their life as they rebuild and uh, reintegrate back into their communities. Um, selling bras also, we found, um, allows them to work mainly with women. So we've found that the exchange of money can be extremely triggering for them. So this business model really does give them that much needed space to work through uh, the, the tenuous relationship that they have with men. So we've really found that to be a benefit for them. Um, um, another benefit of our model that um, we've found is that they have really had to develop cell skills. Uh-huh. Um, I know that sounds kind of, um, and I'm not meaning that in a bad way, but they ha- they've had to. And so... Um, since they have these solid sales skills, they do really well in this business. Um, and and it's a, it can be a very overwhelming time of change for them. And um, since this is something they know so well, they've been able to take to it. And, and it, really, it really, you know, kind of transforms how they view themselves in a, in a short period of time. And it allows them to see themselves as powerful entre- entrepreneurs. And so we, we've really found that to be a beautiful um, catalyst for them. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, so that's really Free the Girls sort of in a, in a nutshell and, and our model, I guess. Um, I can speak a little bit more if you want to know more about like how it works for them as they come into our program. Yeah, so, so where was the you have any questions? Where did you first, like, where was Free the Girls? What was the first place that was it, that you started this? Uh, well, the first program was launched in um, Maputo. Um, our co-founder, um, Dave Terpstra, was living there, um, he and his family, and doing some other um, missionary work there. And um, his background is uh, really as a social entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, he, yeah, he, he, he was spending time in the markets and he realized that, you know, if we're going to do something to help create a business opportunity for women, um, trying to build or rebuild their life after, uh, sex trafficking, you know, why not choose something that, you know, can make them as much money as possible reselling Mm -hmm. something that women in the United States would really sort of happily give away for free. So that's kind of how we started in, in Maputo. Um, and it's actually still probably our, our, our largest program. So how many women are there in, in this program? In uh, Mozambique, we have, I'd say around 24 to 26 women. Mm -hmm. Um, in El Salvador, uh, we have eight women. Mm-hmm. And then Costa Rica that just launched, we've started that program with seven women. Wow. Yeah, we try to, and it just depends on the location. Like I said, Mozambique, because I think it was our initial program um, and the environment there, it, it's a larger, a larger group. But we also are really careful to make sure that... Um, we don't have as, as like a, a larger amount of women in the program actively selling at one time because we don't want to oversaturate yeah. the market, if that makes sense. We want them to be able to, um, you know, be competitive and 
earn as much as they can. And so we're sort of mindful of, of that. How did you decide to open up in Costa Rica? How do you decide on, on where you're going to open up offices? Yeah, well, it depends on a lot of different factors. First, we have to be able to find um, appropriate. Okay, sorry, we lost you for a second there. Oh, that's okay. No, um, so you would ask um, how we chose Costa Rica. Well, Costa Rica was was actually about three years in the making, and I and I and and it really takes a process. So first, we have to be able to um, find a program partner who is already working with um, either women who are um, wanting to get out of, of the sex trafficking situation or already have. Mm-hmm. Um, that That's the first thing. Um, the second thing is um, we have to be able to, we, we can only work in countries where the import of uh, youth clothing mm-hmm. is available. There are an increasing amount of countries that are banning the import of used clothing. Um, so that that's the other other thing. And we also have to, there has to be um, a market for mm-hmm. bras. Okay. And we also are very, uh, you know, conscious about not going into a country that has a thriving textile industry locally because we really don't want to um, compete with that or affect the local economy in that way. So um, it's not as easy as it sounds. Um, and Costa Rica took a little bit of time. Um, and to be honest, I don't know all the details in that because I, I, my position focuses mainly on the domestic, what happens in the United States and our supporters and not as much as I don't have as much direct contact with our international um, program partners. But I know that it took some time because of some government regulations with Costa Rica we, we had the program partner for a while, but it took some time um, and we were finally able to kind of work that out. So, yeah, I mean, we would love to at some point, you know, this is something that we've been talking about as an organization and we might focus really and explore more in 2019. Other alternative avenues mm-hmm. for um, entrepreneurship or um, economic empowerment for women in other countries because we would love to be able to go into, you know, countries in Southeast Asia, for example. However, you know, we run into that barrier of there being a thriving textile industry in a lot of those countries um, or, say, Bangladesh or India. Um, however, again, we're, we're running into some barriers because of import of clothing, but also um, it's, it's, a, it's a culture that doesn't really wear bras are not a popular item. So it wouldn't make sense for us to go into that country. So, um, so yeah, we're, we're, we're still kind of brainstorming that. And I think that's something that we're going to kind of look forward to in the future. It's interesting. Um, it's really empowering. Excuse me. I sit on, um, I mentor somebody who's in a third world country right now and Mm -hmm. the Sherry Blair foundation. And it is where it's so empowering to give, just to awaken somebody else's potential, you know? Mm, and uh, yeah. so I think it's amazing what you do. Now, didn't you just travel somewhere? Didn't you just come back? Was it El Salvador? I did. I went, um, and this was our, my first time actually getting to visit one of our uh, program locations. So 
I was I had the opportunity to travel with one of my coworkers, Pam, who is our inventory manager, um, to El Salvador, and we our program partner there is Mission to El Salvador, uh, run by um, John and Danielle Snyder, and so we we were able to meet with the women. Like I said, there's about eight women, and, and El Salvador is a really a unique place. I mean, each location looks very different and trafficking looks very different depending on, on what location um, that we're in. And, and I'm sure that you may know already, but, you know, El Salvador is a very um, dangerous country. Mm-hmm. It's really run by um, the gangs and the drug cartel. And the women in our program there um, all had a connection to that. So they were what are are termed girlfriend and I'm using air quotes that so you can't see but girlfriend um girlfriends of of um of the gang which means that they're um you know passed around mm-hmm. and so at some point um they're either aged out um or some other term in that in that way and their life is really left very precarious and and devastating and they 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 have children and they it, it was it was a wonderful experience and a humbling experience to be able to meet these women that I I support from afar in my in all my admin work. And one of the things that I really connected to was that we're really no different. Yeah, you know, they're mothers. Um, they want the same exact things that I want in my life that you want in your life for yourself and for your children. Um, the only difference is opportunity. Um, and so um, it was a really um, full circle experience to really be able to um, see the impact that it's making in their lives and to see their faces and hear their stories. Um, and so I, I, I look forward to it. We're going we're gonna to start doing this more often. And I think we may as a staff be able to um, travel to Mozambique and, and take a look at that program as well. Um, because you know it's important, mm-hmm. but you know we we're really we're we're really striving to make sure that the fundraising that we that we have really about eighty I think about at this point eighty five percent of donations really go back into programming, and so that's really our focus. But um, yeah, I I would encourage um, anybody who um, has you know a heart for Central America and that area to look up even Mission to El Salvador, our partners there, because they're not only working with the women in our program, they're working with the entire community and really fulfilling a lot of the needs that normally we in, say, Canada or the United States, the government, you know, kind of takes care of some of those social needs. It was devastating for me, too. The first night we were there, we went out and did a food outreach. And, of course, we see homelessness here in the United States, but very, I mean, I've never, and I know it exists, but I, I've never seen children sleeping yeah. on the streets. Like what I've never, like I said, this is my first time. And I'm, I know a lot of people who work in this field and work in development travel around and it's not uncommon to see that, but it was, it was shocking to be sitting there in the back of the truck and handing food to children as young as, you know, three yeah. that were just laying, laying on the side of the, the street. So I mean, just understanding the extreme poverty and knowing that all of these people, anyone who's living in extreme poverty is vulnerable 
vulnerable for exploitation. So, yeah. It's amazing work that you guys are doing. Um, how did you go from owning a cupcake shop to this? <laughs> That's a really good question. And, you know, it's so interesting. I, I just found out because I, I sold my business back in 2012. And I just found out last night from my sister who uh, lives in Denver, which is where my shop is located. Or I say my shop, but I sold it. But they're closing. They're closing at the end of the month, which I just found out. So that there's a whole lot of feelings going on around that. But um, I, yeah, I, so I, I opened a shop in 2009 in the Denver area. And then um, we were actually going to be moving back here to Ohio for my husband's job. So we um, had put it up for sale and sold it. And then it worked out that we didn't get transferred as soon as we wanted, which we, as we thought we were going to. So in that meantime, I had always, as a, as a business owner, wanted to make a social impact. That's always been something that's really, I don't, it just, it's inside me. It's, it, it drives me. Um, I feel like everything needs to have a meaning behind it for me. And I just, as a small business owner, I, and I had two small kids. My kids were under the age of five when I op- decided to open. Um, I just never got the chance to quite work that out. So I took that time and started to learn more about human trafficking. I, I read the book Half the Sky um, by uh, Cheryl Wudun and um, blanking on her husband's name, who's a journalist, mm-hmm. and started to really learn about the plight of women around the world. And um, I happened to see a CNN Freedom Project story um, about Free the Girls. And I was just drawn in by the simplicity, but also the extraordinary impact it was making. And as as somebody who who had just you know who had her own business and who you know I just had this connection to it. And then I found out they were in my backyard. Um, So I yeah I contacted them and I started uh, out as a volunteer um, with them for the first. Um, few months, and then they were uh, lucky enough to uh, get a grant, and were able to hire some people on. And so, I, I was blessed at that point to just, you know, be there to um, to be a part of the team. So, yeah, it was just kind of a serendipitous, yeah. you know, yeah. avenue. <laughs> <laughs> and you've never the right place, at the right time. <laughs> no, no. I mean, I, I really can't see myself you know, doing anything else. I really can't. Um, And it's, you know, it it is, it's a, like I said, it's a wonderful organization and um, the, the impact, like I think we were kind of talking about that before the, the impact is, is um, tangible. Like we can really see some um, beautiful things that are happening for the women. So, uh, how does it work? So women, you gather bras from women mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you have different drop-off locations. Is it just in America or is it worldwide? No, we actually have, um, I don't know the exact number, but I know we have over 200 drop-off locations. Um, I, I'd say mainly in the United States, but we also have drop-off locations in um, Canada and also um, throughout the world. The, the one caveat that we have is that, um, 
you know, at first when we first started, we were we were kind of not limiting because if somebody, if a woman really wants to donate bras, we are we are happy to to, to receive them. But our our collection facility is located in Chesterton, Indiana. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, for for women who are abroad, it 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 can be quite costly to ship right their their bras to us. Um, but um, but drop off. Um, you can find those on our website. But um, just to kind of give you sort of like a, a an idea of how it works. So once a woman comes into um, our program, we provide them with the um, with an initial inventory of about a hundred bras, mm-hmm. and we do that at no cost because we want them to kind of jumpstart their earnings. And um, once they sell those bras, they they then can come back and and purchase subsequent inventory um, at just below wholesale, um, and that that number kind of fluctuates and changes with with the country's economy. But we want them to be able to stay competitive, and um, we want them to be able to participate in their local markets. And then we also do do that because we want to prevent dependency. Mm-hmm. We want them to be able to budget, learn how to save and spend money, um, and you know, I, I, we just we just want them to be able to uh, be independent in that way. Um, and I think it's also important to mention that the women are not employees. They're not employees of Free the Girls. They're not employees of our program partners. They truly do own their own business. And so uh, we want them to be able to say that they worked with an international distributor on their resume and really mean it. So that's, that's a big benefit for them. Um, and the typical time for a woman in our program is around two years. Um, we, ha- we, we can make some exceptions in extenuating circumstances, but we've found that two years seems to be an effective amount of time for the women. Mm-hmm. Um, and then at that point, the women can choose a few different paths. So if they love being an entrepreneur, they can continue on that path and then maybe even exp- uh, expand their product line. Um, and then we can help them by providing them with some extra small business training and um, budgeting and marketing and those types of um, areas. Uh, if they want to find employment with an established company, we can help them with that by helping them create resumes, a resume and then helping them strengthen their interviewing skills. Um, and then we also have had some women who have decided that they want to pursue an education and go to university or uh, some other kind of adult vocational training, and then we can help them with that process. So for the for for your listeners, um, the best way to really get involved is do. I mean, I think the best thing to do would probably be to look at our website. I mean, it has a a plethora of information, but there is a an area on there that has a really a step by step guide on how to um, host a bra drive. If you're interested in doing a bra drive, it also lists um, our bra drop off locations, so you can take a look and see if there's one near you where you can drop off bras. Um, or it also has also our, our address on there where you can just directly ship them to us if you um, want to do that. Okay. Um, it's, I mean, it's, there's so much there. Um, 
I just, I can see the impact that it has for women. I do some work with um, some women and children who are in a third world country um, Mm -hmm. who have been, who have been trafficked. And I I work with them on kind of um, self-love, embracing Mm. who they are. Um, Mm. So I know the impact that this type of thing can have for people and it's incredible it's truly one of the best things that i do in you know in my in my yeah i say in my work but um can you talk to me a little bit about the impact that you've seen sure yeah um well i think well i'm kind of looking at some of yeah some of the impact that we've had well i, I before i do that i just wanted to let you know that as of last month, we have actually collected since launching one million bras. Wow, that's amazing! So that was a that was a huge month. Yeah, since 2010, we we just recently collected our one millionth bra and, and over that now because uh, we are currently receiving on average around eighteen thousand bras per month, which 18, is thousand. 18,000 bras per month, which wow. is amazing. And I have to give a little shout out to my coworker, Pam, who, like I said, she's the inventory manager and she, we partner with um, a church there called DCC, Duneland Community Church. And so they, all of the bras that, that are, that are shipped in um, to that location are stored there. And about every four to six weeks, Pam and her um, her lovely group of volunteers, anywhere from 40 to like 60 volunteers get together and open every single box and go through and sort them out. And because we will take, we, you know, we, we like better quality bras, but we'll take, we kind of take whatever, yeah. but they go through a sorting process because we really only want to make sure that the women receive the best quality bras. Mm-hmm. Um, and the ones that maybe aren't as, sellable we actually donate into uh, either the local like a, a women's shelter or even to the women's prison system we've done that as well um, but I just want to give a shout out because I mean that's that's it's phenomenal that we're now we're at that point and we have such a great volunteer group that's doing that but um, so just to give you some impact some of the things that have happened so over over the last you know uh, five years or so we've seen that We've had women that have been able to buy land and 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 or rent or actually build a house. So we've had, I think, about 14 women who've been able to do that. And that's huge. That's a huge um, achievement. I mean, even even here in the United States, that I mean, I, I'm not, I think you're in Canada, but I know here the, the affordability of homes is, it's, it's, it's insane how expensive things can be. So that's a huge thing for a woman to be a landowner mm-hmm. and a homeowner. So we've seen that. We've had um, 12 women that have enrolled into um, a university or another uh, adult education program. We've had uh, some areas like journalism, accounting. We've had a few that have gone into cosmetology. Mm-hmm. Um, we've had uh, women that have continued on as entrepreneurs. Um, a few of them recently, I think it was in Mozambique, decided to add freezers to their to their business model, and now they're selling items like popsicles, meat, fish. Yeah, that's always really interesting to hear what the women are doing. 
Um, we've also seen that they they have better access to healthcare. Yeah. So he, the thing is, is that you know access to healthcare really means for them knowing that they have the ability to seek out healthcare. Mm-hmm. So our women are actually shocked when they learn that a doctor will treat them with their history. Yeah. Um, Isn't that you know some, at the same time? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they really, they literally don't realize they can walk into a clinic and be treated because of their low Mm self-worth and what society has told them, you know? So owning their own business has really allowed them to realize that they can access healthcare and that they have the ability to seek it out. And they really didn't realize that before. So, you know, better access is, is really happening because they, they have that knowledge now. Um, plus, you know, they've actually had um, instances where clinics would turn them away illegally mm-hmm. um, previously, um, but they don't they don't do that anymore because the women now have this status in their community of being a business owner. Mm-hmm. So we've really seen that as a, as a huge impact for them. Um, we also one of the one of the things that we're really proud proud about and proud of, of the women is that. All the women who have school-age children, 100% of the women are in school, or of the children are in school, um, and that is really going to the root and trying to disrupt yeah. vulnerability with the children and and stop any kind of generational, um, you know, generational um, issues there. Yeah. And then even in El Salvador. The women have gone a step above and have decided to put their children into private school, pay that extra money to do that. And they've been able to do that with their profits because of the gang and drug cartel influence. um, They know that it's a very common practice for gang members to um, sort of troll the school, the public school grounds. Yeah. to recruit and when I say recruit I'm also doing air quotes because it's not really a choice that they yeah. want a, a, a young boy or a young girl to be a part of the gang they don't really have a choice you either do it or they or there's a threat of death of your not only yourself but of your family mm-hmm. so they know they know that threat so they've actually taken the money and decided to put their children in private school which is one of I mean I just that's that's one of my favorite um impacts out of this um and then we okay so i was just gonna say the ripple effect of of like what you're doing um and what the women are doing is immeasurable you know it is but it 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 absolutely is and they're and like i said their children are kind are, are are getting that benefit their families are getting the benefit and and one of the things that um we've seen happen um in El Salvador is that as the women are able to earn more of an income, they actually start taking care of, um, you know, other family members like aunties and grandmothers. And so it's their families. And then, you know, we know this about women that they reinvest, you know, like, I don't remember the number, but it's like 90 some percent, they reinvest 90% plus back into their families and their communities. Yeah. So, I mean, if you want to change the world, you you want to impact a woman for sure. Um, one of 
one of the ways that we we actually use a um, the uh, progress out of poverty index for our impact reports which can be found on our, our website if you if your readers want to go and actually read those. But we've found that um, there's an a- the average increase of a woman moving out of poverty um, as a result of, of being a part of the bra selling program has really increased. It's increased by 65% in Mozambique and 27% in El Salvador. But of course, Costa Rica is too early. We just started, so we don't have any numbers on that yet. But it would seem like the score is, is lower in El Salvador, but um, really the rate of success for women there is, is pretty comparable to the women in Mozambique. Um, one of the factors that we discovered when employing that impact survey was that, as I said, in El Salvador, as they increase their income and they invite family members to live with them, it kind of brings that score down because mm-hmm. the metrics for the PPI says that um, the more people in a household or the more overcrowded a household is, they, they immediately, they, they equate that with a higher poverty. Yeah. So, which may not always be the case. No, right. Um, and so it's a choice. Yes. It's a choice and, and, it, and it's a cultural difference. And so that's why we're kind of at this point, kind of exploring some other maybe indices to measure impact. But mm-hmm. in, in either case, we've, we've seen from, um, from our impact measurement that, that, that they're moving, they're moving out of poverty. And that's really what we want to do because poverty is, is, as we all know, a root cause to the, mm-hmm. to the vulnerability to human trafficking. So, oh, yeah. This is a subject that's near and dear to my heart. See that you have a fundraiser coming up. What's that about? We do. We, we, um, we usually we always have a yearly fundraiser, and we um, we're doing it in Denver. But um, as staff, we've all actually moved out of um, the Colorado area in the last couple of years. So, our executive director Courtney lives in um, the uh, Johnson City area of Tennessee. So she's hosting one there on November 10th, and it's just a night of celebration and. Um, and and we get to hear good stories about what's happening, and it's actually going to be um, a night that we're going to unveil some new stories and new videos and images of uh, the women and what's happening in our program. Now, I, I I know that your listeners may not be able to probably make that, but um, I can provide you a link to the event page um, if any of your um, listeners want to kind of look at it and, and get some more information. If they wanted to travel there, all that information is on there to buy tickets. Um, it also allows you to donate directly if you want to make a donation instead. But yeah, it's just a, a, a beautiful fundraising event to celebrate all the wonderful things that are happening in the lives of the women. So Sounds like it. And I'll put a link for that for sure in the show notes. See, wonderful. Like, you wanted to leave our listeners with... Um, some wisdom, a piece of advice, what would that be? Sure. Um, well, you know, we, we recently just shared this actually on our social media, but I think it's an important message um, for your listeners is that, you know, the, the dark realities of trafficking and exploitation are, are there. They're palpable. Um, we really, we don't like to dwell on them, but the fact is that we need to be aware and at the same time, 
we also try to seek out hope, and that's what we're putting forward. Um, the women in our program have shown us that hope through their resiliency and perseverance. They've shown us that hope. Um, and I like to always say that healing doesn't mean that their pain never existed. It means that the damage no longer controls their life. Mm. And I and I think that there was a, a recent quote from one of the women in our program that I think is really powerful. And she said um, to us, thank you. Um, selling bras is so good because I'm earning money. We have to work with women so that we are not violated by men. We should have our income so we can sustain life, a life that everyone yearns to have. And so I just want to let your listeners know that, especially the women and mothers, that we have so much more in common with the women in our program than we might believe. Um, They want a life of dignity, a life of their choosing, um, a space to dream for themselves and their children. And so the only real difference is opportunity and that I would love for them to be able to walk alongside us and be a part of those possibilities, be a part of the solution in helping these women, you know, walk into a life of dignity and, and walk into a life of being who they were meant to be. And so I just feel so honored to be able to share that, our message and, and, and this opportunity with, with you and with your listeners. Well, Sheila, I am a massive fan. I have been, and I will continue to be even more so actually listening to this. Um, thank you. I want to thank you because it's people like you who see the potential and the resiliency and the power of connecting. And it's, it could be on the other side of the world. And mm. we all have the potential to make a difference. And so I want to honor Absolutely. You embracing that. I think that's amazing. Sheila, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. I really appreciate that. Thank you, Jesse Lynn. It's really been an honor. Thanks. We'll talk to you again soon. I have the honor of working with some girls and young women who have been trafficked. Never underestimate the power of one small gesture. The work that Sheila and Free the Girls are doing reminded me again that we all have the capacity to make a difference. If you feel called to do so, there are many ways to get involved. Some links are in the show notes. Here are a few thought bomb takeaways. The problem of trafficking is worldwide. The responsibility to address this issue at the core is a global one. Free the Girls has collected over 1 million bras and given so many women the economic freedom to run their own businesses, but more so be self-sufficient, put their children in schools, build their own homes, etc. All done by donating gently used or new bras. I hope you think of this the next time you are cleaning out your closet. And finally, there is a tremendous and intergenerational impact in showing women and children who have been trafficked that they are not broken, that they matter, and that they are more than enough. Thank you for listening. I would be grateful if you could leave a review on iTunes. If you have any comments or feedback, please don't hesitate to reach out. Until next time, be well, be inspired, be you. If you like what you just heard, we hope you'll share this podcast. If you'd like to get in touch with Jessie Lynn, please check out the contact page on her website, jessielynnmcdonald.com. Also, we'd be beyond grateful if you would leave us a review. 
Join us next time for another edition of the CPR of Life.